This podcast is brought to you by Viking Capital, your best friend in swimming pool financing for over 20 years. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Pool Magazine Podcast. Today we're going to be discussing natural pools, and I have Alan Schnack, Vice President of BioNova Natural Pools, and pool water chemistry expert and one of the world's leading authorities on swimming pool algae, Rudy Stankowitz of CPOclass.com and the Talking Pools Podcast. Pleasure to have you both on the show today. Thanks, Joe. Good to be here. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. Always a fun show for sure. Hey, guys, I thought we could lead off today's discussion about, you know, first talking about what a natural pool really is and basically why someone would opt for a natural pool and how these types of pools are supposed to function. And I know you're a huge proponent for natural pools, Alan, so I figured you can come on and tell us about what the value prop is for doing a natural pool. And then we'd open it up for discussion and some more technical questions from the chemistry side. Yeah, well, thanks. And natural pools, I mean, I'd love to tell you that I invented the whole concept in biological filtration, but the reality is biological filtration has existed since the dawn of time when the first drop of fresh water and salt water hit the earth. The opportunity for the the need for the reduction of nutrients was present, and the system that our natural ecosystems has presented uh, has all the, the players, the microbial life, plants, animals that all participate for the explicit purpose of reducing the nutrient load in the water. Through that process, this natural process, there are uh, producers, consumers, and reducers that play all together where the metabolic output of one organism benefits the metabolic need of the other. So this microscopic food web of sort recognizes and identifies the natural nutrients that are just ubiquitous to our environment. Uh, It's fallout from wind, rain, dust, bathers, animals, surface water runoff, all the nutrients that end up into the water ultimately will be consumed, converted, and provide a continual method of uh, providing sustenance to the ecosystem. The biggest reality is the fact that biological filtration in a natural pool has the same objective as chemical applications. Rudy and I have known each other for, as we were just talking, for a few decades. I've been in the industry for several decades and, matter of fact, served 30 years with a chemical manufacturing company that sold pool chemicals to for the purpose of chemical maintenance. And the, the purpose of adding chemicals to the pool is the same purpose of biological filtration. That is to reduce and suppress the opportunity for pathogens to exist and thrive in the water. Pathogens are disease-causing organisms, and we don't want those in high populations. It's fair to state that even in a chemically treated pool, as well as in a biologically treated pool, pathogens do exist. It's just they don't exist in numbers that cause a threat. The threat becomes evident when their numbers launch and mushroom into the millions or billions of microbes that end up causing disease. Uh, We're seeing this play out in nature's backyard in Tampa Bay right now with the uh, Carina brevis and uh, the red algae uh, bloom that's going on there along the coast, influenced by an influx of nutrients that is greater than the amount of, of than the ecosystem can actually consume. So it gives these pathogens an opportunity to thrive. So, Joe, to back to circle back to your questions, what's the draw? Well, the draw is you can't go through a news feed today without hearing something about environmental sustainability, green living, electric cars, climate change, farm to table. People are more conscious and making decisions about their well-being and lifestyle based on their choices they make and the lifestyle that they live. And this is one of them. Uh, it is not necessary to chemically treat a pool in order to make it viable and healthful existence for someone to swim in. So uh, my uh, opportunity in the market is certainly increased as that desire has increased. 
And uh, we're definitely anxious and interested to get more of my pool industry cohorts. Simply understanding that there is a viable option to consider outside of chemical treatment. Well, you've definitely got one to sell on the other side of this table. I know that Rudy has a, some pretty strong feelings about why uh, natural pools might not be the way to go. So I wanted to have, you know, a counterpoint to your discussion today. All right. And having excellent. Rudy uh, on the show, I feel like it's an excellent opportunity for you to really, you know, sell to the industry what the true value proposition is and be able to, you know, intelligently talk with Rudy. All right. As a kind of, uh, he has a completely different feeling on the subject. All right. And be able to answer some of those hard boiled questions that I'm sure Rudy has. Really, I'm not a fan, so I am a fan of algae being used for other things. I really am. Things are progressing. There's been a lot more fuels, and uh, even in wastewater treatment, algae has become a major player in helping to remediate any issues in that water before it's pumped back out, and to your point, so we don't end up with the red tide uh, like we have, and that's mostly from the um, sugarcane fields down there by the Okeechobee that have dumped into uh, the Gulf, which is causing that problem. So I'm not a complete non-believer, but my problem is is that this is basically a pond, and mm-hmm. in that, it looks like a pond. I don't know where to start with. Well, Alan, I let you talk for five minutes. Come on, buddy. So let me give me just a second. We can address the issues when I'm done. So it's basically a pond. And as long as anything living gets into that, as long as the wind blows, as long as people get into it, as long as animals get into it, there's going to be constantly things that are introduced to that body of water that are not going to be able to be eradicated quick enough that it can't cause a potential problem for human beings. That's my main point. The follow-up to that, which is also probably just as heavy, is water clarity. We know that 10% of all drownings are attributed to cloudy water situations or hazy or murky water. So I look at these things and we have green water. And I know that's the intention. We want to grow diatoms so that they outgrow anything else that's in the body of water, which is great. It will do that. But what's our reaction time? I mean, that's a lot of what we look at. Somebody gets in, somebody has crypto, somebody has even just natural things to consider. For example, copepods, right? Copepods, those actually live on diatoms. And if they're swallowed, the person who ingests them can get cholera. And how are they introduced to the water? The eggs are carried by the wind. They can actually, well, they found that 93% of what's ingested by an animal passes through undigested. So we can get into the water that way. There's a whole bunch of scenarios that are super, super scary. Even in the International Journal of Hygiene and Environmental Health, if you go back, they did a study in Barcelona where they looked at three natural pools. And what they found was that the E. coli levels were much, much higher than recommended in those bodies of water. So I don't disagree that it works to a certain point. The problem is that the reaction time is going to be so much slower than using a chemical method like chlorine, which is proven to your point as far as since the beginning of time. Oh, let him interject for a second, Rudy. Address I, I can these... see it building. You got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let him address some of these, well, uh, these questions you have here. Yeah, at first, the preconceived notion that all natural pools are green, messy bodies of pond water is just a misimpression. Uh, We've got pools like those over your shoulder, Rudy, with water clarity easily down to 12 feet. Uh, I'm a big believer in safe water environments. In fact, the vessels and the systems that we design, the swimming areas are designed according to ICC and ANSI standards for engineering a properly designed swimming pool with depth, slopes, and such, even to uh, electrical grounding and Virginia Graham Baker application. So the vessels are safe. And to that point, 
water clarity is not an issue. If your only if experience with a natural pool is looking at a green, cloudy pond, then, then there's a, a greater exploration of opportunity. Uh, we've got a, a 20,000 square foot public pool up at Weber Park that uh, with a 12, 13 foot diving well that's uh, totally clean with the 500 person bather load. Well, giving uh, you the benefit that, of the doubt on this one, then that opportunity is on you, not me. I've only seen the pictures that people put out there. And honestly, I have never in any magazine, in any post or anywhere seen a natural pool that is not green. So the opportunity for education, that's on you. And, you know, I've known yeah, you a while. I don't know you to be a bullshitter. You know, so I just think I, I, I believe I you. Yeah. And from a standpoint of industry awareness in the United States, natural swimming pools are not nearly as prevalent in the U.S. as they are in Europe. Uh, 16% of the recreational water in Europe is natural swimming pools, 16%. By my rudimentary calculation, probably less than 0.03% of recreational water in the U.S. that could be termed as a, a natural pool. The opportunity for helping the industry recognize this as a viable method for maintaining recreational water, you're right, is on us. And it's really up to the market as well. Uh, there certainly is an increasing interest by those looking for more sustainable options for pool care. And believe me, they are not looking for green, ugly, cloudy water. They, they want a refreshing, healthful experience. Um, one other point, the opportunity for nutrients to be put into a body of water is going to be defined by the footprint that it uh, has in the landscape. As any pool is constructed, it's always constructed in a way that it does not allow surface water runoff to go into the pool. Always raised to an elevation to mitigate surface water runoff. That's a wild card that no pool owner wants to have invading due to ground surface water runoff. But by the understanding that, we do know that with a given square footage, there is an anticipated amount of environmental deposition of nutrients that are constantly bombarding the pool. And, and frankly, uh, all nutrients that are hitting the water, I'm referring to these this food source that drives the biological system as nutrients. In a chemical environment, they're all referred to as contaminants because everything that's that can be oxidized, reduced, or killed has to be killed as soon as you begin taking out the beneficial microbial life that otherwise would be consuming it. If you've walked across a rocky stream and slipped on the rock, you slipped on the biofilm that's growing on the rock that nature's deposited. You didn't do, we didn't have to do anything to plant it. It is naturally uh, forming and uh, like the field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. I don't know that I necessarily agree with you on the fact that if you have diatoms present in a body of water that you will not see cyanobacteria biofilms. I understand the process that we're feeding the water with phosphates and silicates so that diatoms can outgrow, use up the nitrates so nothing else can have them. Therefore, they don't grow. And in theory, that works great. But the problem is, is just like there are carbon-fixing diatoms, there are nitrogen-fixing cyanobacteria. So you will still have the these biofilms, and these biofilms do harbor many other disease-causing organisms, such as Legionella, Nigleri fowleri, which is a big one. That's the brain-eating amoeba. And I've done extensive studies on black algae, black swimming pool algae, which is cyanobacteria. And in those biofilms, I have found diatoms living happily amongst the other things that are inside there. So it's not an incompatible relationship if you have the right diatoms and the right cyanobacteria. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting that diatoms are a participant. They are part of the population. They are not the only 
microbial life when you consider phytoplankton, zooplankton, the entirety of the population of beneficial bacteria that has been specialized for but this whole up, nitrogen um, reduction cycle. Um, I brought up it is, um, zooplankton, as, which as a concern a moment ago when we were talking about copods. Um, oh, zooplankton, because- Daphnia, the most studied and recognized zooplankton in the aquatic environment, actually can filter in its own uh, and graze on cysts and viruses that uh, could otherwise be detrimental. You know, I to think a that point one of the that, things that, Alan, to their point there, that's true about Daphne, but to the point that it explodes, then releases that all back into the water. And that's part of the problem that we're also having with the red tide. Daphne doesn't last long enough to contain it all. And then if it's actually consumed by an animal, which happens because animals eat zooplankton. A person can eat that animal or that animal could defecate or it could just release it into the atmosphere, which could send it into the pool in the same occurrence. So it, it's well, battling it, it, nature. There's a lot of what-if scenarios here. I'm sure. You I don't know, know if that's what yeah. if or not. I have some proven yeah, documentation that these things yeah. exist. So it's yeah. not really that what if at all. Well, biology and limnology and the science that's involved in the intricacies and the complexity, the, the elegance of the system that's been created, I think is being uh, exceptionally. I think the major. I think the major challenge for you, and you know, just trying to be open-minded here, is you know, chlorine does kill these things. We know that. We have proof that chlorine kills those things. What we need then, if this is true, if you're telling me that this system that you have set up will take all these things out, we need to get that research out. We need to get that so that it's common knowledge. And that's how you gain more acceptance. Because right now... Yeah, you're absolutely right. And as a member of the Council for the Model Aquatic Health Code, uh, if the gun will be participating in a ad hoc committee uh, for the evaluation and potential implementation of biological filtration for public aquatic venues. Well, good. Uh, I would like you to put me... I would like to yeah, well, I'd be on it. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a lot for many of us to learn about the proper method for design, the hydraulics, the movement. It's not as simple as creating a natural body of water. We create the environment of water that's specific to the footprint, size, use, and uh, bather characteristics that's going to be used. So we understand what kind of biological load that needs to be removed. This is not a one-size-fits-all, neither is a, a chemical application system a one-size-fits-all. I did also want to push back a little bit, Rudy, on the what EPA require from a standpoint of chlorine chemical application. There's not a pool chemical, and I bet the pool behind you, I could go in and you could find uh, a pathogenic organism living in that environment. Uh, the presence of chlorine does not indicate a sanitized environment. Sanitized indicates, the, you know, the absolute total eradication and absence of any contaminating substance or organism. They live, they thrive. In fact, the EPA recognizes that, which is why the EPA threshold for fecal coliform in recreational water and public pools is at 165 CFUs per milliliter of water. That doesn't mean zero. It means pathogenic organisms do thrive even in natural environments and in chemistry environments, but the objective is not total eradication. The objective is to suppress the opportunity for the pathogens to thrive. And with that goal reached, a healthful environment can be swam in. 
Well, having come, well, first off, the pool behind me is one of the pools that I used to actually maintain. So there is no bacteria in it. In fact, there's probably negative bacteria. You can't get it. Give me you need more before you get to zero. Over there. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll do a little bacterial swab in your filter. We'll see, right? Well, that's where the bacteria is going to be. It's going to be in the filter if it's going to be anywhere. So I understand that. <laughs> I agree with you. Is it circulating? But not, but not in my pool. So. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. I was part of the meetings for cyanobacteria levels that we went through last year when we were discussing cyanobacteria as a percent of chlorine. And one of the things that we kept looking at is the amount of time Giardia can survive if you're standing next to somebody in the water who happens to have feces on their person. We're all familiar with the Gerber studies of whatever, how many, 0.14 grams of feces on somebody's butt when they get out of a shower, right? So if you're standing next to that person, the time it takes for that to get to somebody's mouth, will it be destroyed? Can that now with Giardia or Cryptosporidium? What am I looking at in this natural well, pool? Chlorine's not going to do it. I mean, it's going to take a minute and a half for chlorine at three parts per million at a 7.5 pH. So uh, even CDC is on uh, in the, the Pinellas County Health Department's uh, data on the efficacy of chlorine don't indicate an immediate destruction of the organism on contact. So there's no immediate uh, destruction of anything on contact. So I agree with you there, but how long is it taking in a body of water where the chlorine's not there in this stop calling it a pond in this natural pool environment? How long does it take? If I'm in the water with somebody who has this on their person and I'm in that water for a good hour with them and I get water in my mouth with Giardia, that's a risk. Yeah. You know, Rudy, you raise a great point that, uh, you know, the, the pathogens that we're talking about either have to be ingested, shoved up the nose, enter through a cut or scrape, which is why on a chemically treated public pools, there is a requirement by the health departments that you post a sign that tells people no spouting of water, do not swim if you're ill, no infants in diapers. I mean, all those are and provided they to as that. guidance to <laughs> bathers so that they understand there's some bather responsibility and how to properly use a pool. And I get that. It's, it's right next to the... Or naturally treated. It's right next to the sign that says they have to shower, um, which never gets turned on either. I get well, that. Then, They're not so supposed to put the water in their mouth. Yeah, I'm it, talking it, about the difference in time. We know it takes, you said, 1.5 minutes to kill the Giardia in a chlorinated body of water at a certain percentage. And I'm good with that. What's that time frame in this natural pool? You're talking about things that have to be ingested, and crypto and Giardia are definitely there, but there are other things that can get in that body of water that do not. Leptospirosis being one, that's that's a bacteria that's carried in the urine of the infected host. That can pass through your eye, directly through your skin, or even through the membrane in your nose. Same thing holds true about Nigleri thalari, which is the brain-eating amoeba. That does not need to be ingested. So there are pathogens that will survive in non-chlorinated water, Legionella. And in chlorinated water. But... Will be destroyed and easily in chlorinated They're destroyed just, easily yeah. in chlorinated water unless they're actually taking harbor in a cyanobacteria biofilm. And, and assuming that the, the water balance and chlorine's at a pH 7.5 and the chlorine levels been maintained properly. I mean, well, I understand the there's a lot of variables, are, are especially. The yeah, there's some responsibility and maintenance and care that, that whether it's a chemically treated pool or a natural pool. So let me ask you this because I'm. I am really just trying to learn your perspective, so I'm not trying to come across as arguing, but there is a lot of detail here. There's a lot of maintenance involved in doing any type of pool, whether it's chlorinated or a natural pool. The thing is, is, you know, the propensity of people to actually listen to that instruction and do it. So could you share with me what 
your, I mean, everybody listening, I'm assuming, hopefully, knows how to take care of a chemically treated pool. What's the step-by-step? What's my day-to-day with this natural pool? Yeah, well, the, the magic is in the design and the planning and the execution. It's all about the system, the biological filter that's designed with specific requirements relative to the surface area of the swimming area that's been created. So it, as I said earlier, it's not a one-size-fits-all. So in a properly designed biological filter, the water is constantly moving. And the systems that are, uh, whether it be a pond-like environment, ecosystems that replicate more of the pond ecosystem, the water is slower moving. In Europe, they call them slow filters, uh, more passive filtration, regeneration zones, much bigger regeneration zones than with a biofilm system. With water constantly moving and circulating off the surface of the water, we're pulling the nutrient-rich surface water directly into the biological filter. Through that filter, through the substrate, the gravel substrate and uh, sedimentation filtration and exposure to the biofilm that's growing in that substrate, it serves as kind of a sequestering surface to capture and store and then digest these nutrients as they come off the water. Okay, but I understand, but what's the responsibility of the homeowner? You know, circulate, clean the pool. Okay. And we're going to clean it exactly the same as we would a chemical pool. Dump the leaves out of the skimmer baskets, vacuum, brush the walls. I'm a big proponent like you that I think pools ought to be brushed once a week. It's uh, probably one of the most overlooked aspects of pool care. And in a chemical pool, we know that uh, in the absence of brushing, a film can grow in under-circulated areas of the water. So our pools are no different. We want the water. It's absolutely This goes back to what you guys were saying. This doesn't negate the homeowner from the responsibility of having to maintain that pool. Exactly. You know, just because it's a natural pool doesn't mean it takes care of itself. And I think that's a misnomer yeah, well, with homeowners, you know? You're right, Joe. And one of the, one of the real hardships that's taken away from the homeowner is the need to play this water balancing game. Water balance in a chemistry pool is absolutely critical to the efficiency and efficacy of the chemicals being applied. In a natural pool, it is not a stringent requirement for typical and routine water balance and care. The water will reach a harmonious balance based on the geography and climate and the type of material of construction. In those cases, the homeowner just enjoys the task of cleaning and brushing and vacuuming and skimming debris out of the pool as they would in a chemistry pool. There is no water balancing gymnastics that they have to do. So there's uh, there no, is, uh, Alan, there's no water testing involved? The water, yeah, we test initially in all commercial pools that, especially in Germany, we've got uh, about a 10, 11, now 12 year database of over a thousand public pools in Austria, Germany, France, Spain, across Europe uh, that have contributed to the Dana database where routine and very regimented protocols for testing sites, testing frequency and submission of tests are supplied. That's how the FLO guidelines in Europe, which is basically the landscaping and uh, their version of the CMAC or the Model Aquatic Health Code 
for the requirements of biological pools. And part of that process in a public pool is weekly testing. And it not only tests the water quality is with regards to temperature, pH, hardness, uh, but also uh, oxygen saturation, zooplankton concentrations, as well as potential pathogens. You know, the, the big three that are tested, the microbial lab rats, so to speak, are Enterococca, E. coli, and Pseudomonas. Those marker organisms give us the canary in the mine shaft view of what the overall opportunity for other pathogens would be. There is not a Carina Brevis test unless it's actually tested and called for because there would be other marker organisms that would be much higher in their population rate that would indicate that uh, these other pathogens may also be higher. But I will also point out that while the EPA recognizes fecal coliform at a max of 165 CFUs per milliliter, the FLO guidelines threshold is 150 uh, CFUs per milliliter. So there is stringent testing. And we also test source water as well as substrate materials that are used in construction to ensure that the biology that's being engaged in a natural system has the best opportunity for immediate success when it's started up. Uh, we like to screen for phosphorus. Uh, by limiting phosphorus, we know that we're eliminating one of the primary elemental building blocks for problematic algae growth. And by eliminating that from materials of construction and the source water, it gives us a much better opportunity for the biology to get started. When we're talking about balancing water and you say it's not necessary, and again, it is important in a chemically treated pool for the operation of the pool, but one of the main reasons we look at water balance is for the protection of the vessel itself as far as etching or scaling and things. Are these pools... And I'm not talking saturation index because I have my own opinions of that. I did a podcast on that last week or the week before. I don't remember where I took a look at the whole progression of that from front to start. But what concerns do we have there? If we're not balancing the water, what about the vessel itself? Yeah, natural water, just by the predominance of testing, shows that the typical pH level hovers in around 8 to 8.2. In areas of the country where there is... uh high levels of hardness that may promote scaling. As you just recently mentioned in one of your podcasts, scaling in its own right is nothing more than a visual deterrent to the to surface of the pool. It's not a pathogenic organisms or going to develop any type of, of disease from the occurrence of scale. It just becomes unsightly. Uh, the sequestering of scale forming conditions can easily be done in a biological system as well. So uh, it is not uh, the sequestering agents it's used uh, would not be a phosphate derivative which many of the phosphate or many of the sequestering agents used in the pool chemistry are a phosphate derivative. There are non-phosphate derivatives that would be used to prevent scaling. But etching and scaling is not typically a problem in a natural pool. Scaling probably more than etching because the pH typically ends up being more a little above neutral than a typical pool. Well, maybe not so much for a salt pool. Well, basically, I was going to ask, how long does it take the water in an NSP to acclimate to the plant life? Yes, that was the exact yeah, question a, I was going to ask. That's a great question. Yeah, Joe that's knows, a great question. Alan, I don't know if you know this or not. Joe knows this. Right now, I currently have my own bog that I maintain. Of course, it's not. Yeah, I've been watching that on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> if I have an entire bog of carnivorous plants from around the world. Um, but that was the question that I wanted to ask. How long does the water have to stay in the pool before you can add the plants? Yeah, well, if it's a planted environment, we refer to those systems as bio-swim ponds. In Europe, they refer to them as 
slow flow or low flow systems because it's mimicking a pond environment, slower moving, passive filtration. The plants are the very last element that's put into the system after it's up and running. The system will, with the planting, plants will begin to grow and thrive on application. There is no deterrent from the nutrients being laid into the water, and there's no deterrent for the biology to prevent. I'm more concerned with the tap water that was used to fill the pool and it uh, having a chance to settle out. In the bog situation, I know that bog plants are definitely, I'm not going to say fragile, but there's a lot of nutrients in fill water that would kill these plants. So I use either distilled water or rainwater. Now, obviously, filling an entire swimming pool full of distilled water would be pretty neat, but not realistic. So I was wondering if there is a wait time from fill, putting the plant no, in actually, soil. No, uh, actually, we want the fine. system... We will start the system circulating immediately when water levels reach the point where adequate filtration circulation can be achieved. So your plants uh, are just biofilm, much more hardy. Biofilm, biofilm will begin growing and developing immediately. The best example of that is probably in your own home when you set your water dish out for your pet and you go the next day to refill the water dish and you notice the slime on the inside of the bowl. Well, that's biofilm. You didn't do anything to create it, plant it, or nurture it. Uh, all you did was create an environment that allowed it to occur. Temperature was right, it was wet, and it was getting nutrients from the environment as well as the nozzle of the pet sticking his nose in it. And that's one of my, I guess that's one of my bigger, I am not a fan of biofilms whatsoever. I understand that we believe that some are good, but they all tend to harbor different things that could be harmful, whether good or not. It's not like Legionella is choosy about where it makes a home. It just wants well, a place actually where it, it makes is. a home. It is, is totally it outnumbered. Legionella as a participant in the population is vastly outnumbered by beneficial microorganisms that will outcompete it for the nutrients that it needs to thrive. In an environment that's absent of that competitive environment, yeah, that's where nutrient surplus begins to offer any pathogen the opportunity to thrive in a Then we're going to need to get more of that research. We're going to need to get more of that research out there because these are all going to be key factors. Well, yeah, I've I, looked... I've looked in a lot of different places. I've looked across ResearchGate and a bunch of other places as well. Um, so if this is research that you guys have, we need to start putting it out. And I would suggest probably a third party as well. Just, yeah, you know, I, otherwise it looks a like great, an editorial. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Rudy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, it's going to be the data that's going to define people's confidence level, especially in the public venue. And, uh, hopefully as the ad hoc committee on the Council of the Model Aquatic Health Code begins to assemble, there is data that uh, has been gathered and will be provided, can be provided. Third party data. In fact, uh, there's a lot of folks out there that have been using wetlands filter environments, bog filters for wastewater treatment, sewer treatment, gray water treatment. And uh, so there is data outside of the recreational water industry that promotes and understands the biology that's going on for the and I'm just a fan. I, I'm a huge, I, I understand the necessity of that having done the research I have with cyanobacteria and using outside sources to confirm theories because, you know, Rudy looks under a microscope and says this. So that's Rudy saying that. But, you know, when you actually, you need that third party because we already know I'm trying to prove my theory. So it's the same there. So one, going back earlier, you did say that microbial 
biological disinfection since the dawn of time. Yet it was never appreciated in drinking water because as far back as 1500 BC, you can see that aluminum sulfate was used to treat drinking water. That's in both Egypt and Rome throughout the first century. Yeah, as populations began gathering, you're absolutely right. But absolutely nothing like what we have today. The water back then, I would have to assume, was much safer than it is today. And of course, you know, this isn't a natural thing that happened. People decided to let the cows stop roaming. And when they all eat one spot, they poop everywhere. The rain washes it into the water and we got big problems. So that wasn't something that existed at the beginning of time. Uh, The other thing that I wanted to ask about, because I am in Florida. I don't know where you're located, Alan. Okay. So you'll see a little bit of this as well. So out there, when I had my pool service company, a common occurrence was snakes in swimming pools, venomous snakes, copperheads, not so much, but cotton mouths, water moccasins. (laughs) They like skimmers because that hole looks like a cool place to chill out, which is great. The other problem is a little bit less frequently, but it does still occur, is alligators. And I would want to make sure that I can see that clearly before I get into a body of water, because even in a pool that has a darker color to the plaster, they're not even that easy to sight. But start adding algae, it gets a little scary. I was going to ask you that, too. I mean, do you typically find more wildlife in a natural pool than you do uh, a, a, like a... Well, I mean, pool? here, guys, you know, this, between grown-ups here, you know, um, <laughs> you create an environment, a wetlands environment that is complete with reeds, rushes, lily pads, plants, amphibians, tadpoles, reptiles, herons, raccoons, snakes. You know, if I was one of them, I would love to frequent a managed pool environment. So, yeah, absolutely. I think if you had the, uh, an environment like that in an area that had wildlife, yes, it would attract. The On the upside, the animals that would end up slithering, crawling, diving, jumping into a natural pool at least aren't going to be killed by the, the chlorine puck that's floating around inside the skimmer. You won't have bloated and dead frogs, but yeah, is there a potential that there could be wildlife? Absolutely. Many of our clients, you know, you know, to your benefit, I honestly don't think there would be a difference in the amount of wildlife you would see from one to the other. I think they see water they get in and they don't care if it has reeds around it or lawn chairs. It just really doesn't make a difference. My concern is how visible well, see, is you, that you, gator you going to be. I understand. And water clarity is just. Because again, I still have issue. these photos stuck in my mind of every natural pool I've ever seen. Again, I'll, that I'll has send to be you on photos you. to replace those mindsets. Then, if right? you send them to me, I will share them. I have not seen them. In fact, I'll guarantee, I'll bet. I guarantee, because I know you have a lot of listeners here too, but most of the uh, the pool guys and pool gals haven't seen clear natural pool photos either. Ed, probably some of your pool girls and gals probably haven't seen a clear chemical pool either. So, I mean, the, the opportunity for that applies to absolutely that applies yeah. to absolutely I'm, no I'm, one I'm looking in the at, talking pools group. I'm looking at one right now, Rudy. I mean, I read the Aqua Magazine article, um, okay. the, the three common myths about natural swimming pools, and this pool looks pretty clear to me. I've seen instances, you know, where you can see the bottom of the pool pretty clear. All right. Now, is the water supposed to be kind of green because of the plant life that's in it? Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's it's changing the perception in the marketplace that all pools are supposed to be a certain shade of blue, you know, or a certain uh, water clarity. I mean, well, it doesn't this is take not much, that type Joe. of pool. Yeah. Well, Joe, check this out. 
people in the military tend to wear camouflage and we know they wear camouflage because that helps them to blend into their environment. And it doesn't really take much to break up the outline of something. That's why we have these CDC and NSFI measures levels, uh, the turbidometric level of uh, 0.05 nephlometers is the reading that we're supposed to be below. So my question here is, where are we falling in with these pools? So Alan, and I'll ask you, because again, like we said, homeowners play a role in this and I want to take them out of it for a minute. Where am I at in one of the natural pools when things are running correctly? Because I don't know. I see the shade of green. I think to myself, okay, there's stuff floating in the water too. I know most of it's on the bottom and reflected up, but there's stuff in the water and that could break up the outline of somebody slightly, which would slow down the reaction time of somebody trying to save them. And this study has been done time and time again with lifeguards. They don't meet their 20 second time. I think it's 10 seconds now, actually. But can you speak on that for me? Well, the same visual metric that's used for determining water clarity and safety in a natural pool is the same thing that you use in a chemical pool. The circular disc with white-black contrasting visibility down to three to four meters, our pools would certainly pass that test. But to Joe's point, we're not promoting and we don't proclaim that a natural pool is going to provide the Windex blue sanitized environment that we see over your shoulder there. Living water does have the characteristic of living organisms, beneficial organisms that are alive in the water column. It gives it a slightly yellowish, greenish tint seasonally. But overall, the water clarity is not going to be impeded by the slight tint of a greenish or yellowish shade. And frankly, that's even promoted, even based on the surface coloration of the pool interior. Obviously, the whiter colored interiors are going to promote more of a greenish, yellowish tint to the water. Most of our clients do like and prefer grays, darker colors, because it enhances the overall aesthetic that they're going for in their landscaping feature. Uh, Reflection ponds have long been a thing. I'm not a big fan of a black pool for a lot of reasons, but uh, it is an aesthetic that uh, we offer customers an understanding of what the options are. And along with you, yeah, I would certainly counsel them to make sure that in pools that might be shaded, guarded, even irregular shaped pools, it might hide the presence of someone on the bottom of the pool around a curve that they can't see to make sure that they're responsibly looking after those that are in their care. So water clarity is not going to be the obstacle here. It, It's going to be just routine and expected maintenance, upkeep, and an understanding what their role in that upkeep is. To to understanding what plants to put in there, too. I mean, I've seen some instances where people put in the wrong type of plants, all right, that produce a higher pH and suck up a lot of oxygen. And so you see things like string algae and these big slime columns on the top of pools because people put in the wrong plants to start with. Well, in many cases, Joe, I mean, that, that some of that is surface water. Some of it is municipal waters. There's lots of ways that nutrients can be added, whether it's broadcast, overspray, surface water runoff. And then whenever there's an overspray or over nutrient uh, load in, a, in water, whether it's chemically treated or natural, there's going to be a corresponding response in a chemical pool. It exhausts the chemistry because it's looking to oxidize something. In a natural pool, it's feeding. Usually the first in line to this food line, the buffet, is going to be algae. And uh, so uh, fortunately, in both a chemical pool and a natural pool, the methods for treating it are measured, exact, 
and prescribed and are not a long-term problem. So I know a lot of people who have made an entire career out of having pools not look like those, which is fine. That's not my final question, but have you yet, and I don't know where you're at on this, So, and this is strictly for my knowledge or for everybody's knowledge, where are we at as far as a U.S. Health Department approval of this type of body of water for commercial use? Have you had any jurisdictions say, okay, let's do it? Yeah, well, uh, Weber Park in Minneapolis was the first. We've gotten the thumbs up go ahead from the state of New Jersey. Uh, we're currently working with Miami-Dade County. And in those cases, because the Model Aquatic Health Code is the guidelines that public aquatic venues use for public vessels of water, they've become one-offs where the health departments provided and we can provide the data, the efficacy information relative to the vessel size, use, and type. You're right, it becomes a one-off exercise getting variants from the individual health departments. Hopefully that will be preempted and eliminated once we get some, a biological filtration methodology described and defined within the Model Aquatic Health Code. Uh, excluding it as a method for water treatment is an aberration and an insult to science. Um, the method can be applied as defining and as exacting as chemistry is. The biology that's going on around us and natural wetlands and environments is also very defined and prescribed and orchestrated. So at least bringing uh, health department officials, uh, aquatic venue managers, and the pool industry up to speed uh, and thinking, sorry to do this to you, Rudy, but think out of the box think outside the vessel, think outside what your personal bias and experience is, and look at science. Science is very defining, descriptive, and specific. And it's not like we've invented a new level of microbiology and water treatment. It's simply identifying, optimizing, and implementing a method that can properly create well, a natural body of water. Now, now, Alan. My my mantra has always been pretty much think outside the pool, so that kind of hurts a little bit. But I look at the environmental factors and and take all of that into consideration and try to get other folks to do that as well in keeping pools blue and clear. I think in our conversations here, one, the things that it's not so much that I don't think outside of the box, but I haven't been that your product's not being marketed appropriately, or at least not to the extent where it's getting in front of the people who build pools on a large level or maintain pools. I think that's the bigger problem. It's not that I don't think outside can, can the box. Can I address that? I, Alan, I burn the box. You. I crush the box. I kick the box. I mess that box. The fuck. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got an interesting data for you. You know what they say about statistics. But anyway, surveys are an important thing. And uh, I did a, a survey to those who have inquired to our website. And uh, at the time, it was about 7,200 and some odd in folks that I emailed this survey monkey to and asked them of the 7,200, how many were still considering a natural swimming pool? And 78% of them were still considering. This is a, like 10 years worth of data that was collected. And then I asked, I said, well, what's prevented you from moving forward? The number one reason was lack of knowledgeable understanding in their local market. And then the follow-up question to that was, are you also considering a chemical pool? 65% of these people that are looking for natural pools were not even considering a chemical pool. Because so, there weren't in, any chemicals this year. 
<laughs> so, well, <laughs> so I well, get that. Yeah, but let but me that, ask you that, this. That does bring up something important, though. I mean, a lot of people are considering a natural pool because of the chemical shortage, all right? And the reason why I can tell you from a, a builder standpoint why there's been some hesitancy hasn't been so much from the maintenance standpoint because builders are fairly knowledgeable in terms of what needs to happen on that side. It's been the lot sizes, all right, that are constraint for building these pools because typically you need a larger size lot to build a pool that's a natural pool. And they are at a much greater expense, are they not? They are more expensive than initial pool, but Joe, let me address that. The bio swim pond does require one relationship, a swimming area to regeneration zone. So we are building two pools, a pool for the plants and pool for the people. Correct. Yeah. But the bio pool with the biofilm system is a much smaller footprint. For a, a pool up to 500 square feet, only requires a footprint of 40 square feet. So it's a 12.5 to one square foot ratio of swimming area to biofilm. Now it is the biofilm system does it's a vertical filter. It goes six feet deep in the ground and typically is adjacent to the pool or within hydraulic reach of the pool. But for a 16 by 32 pool, we're only adding uh, 40 extra square feet of area. So it's certainly addressed some of the size and lots. In fact, we're working with one of the uh, plunge pool manufacturers and developing a biofilm system to be a natural plunge pool for their offering that it takes up a similar square footage on their size. The biofilm system that I just described, the 40 square foot footprint, will treat a pool up to 500 square feet. So there's no such thing as too much filtration in any pool, whether it's chemical or biological. So we oversize according to the size of the vessel. But generally, you could expect for a biofilm system to add maybe 10 to 15 percent to the installation cost of a normal swimming pool, excluding whatever chemical expenses are being added for devices. So the vessel doesn't matter what it's made of, gunite, vinyl, fiberglass, the materials of construction is inconsequential. I did want to say, um, you mentioned earlier the Pinellas County Health Department and some research that they've conducted on cyanuric acid, bacteria, kill times, chlorine, such. And I just did want to note that that is fantastic research that they contributed to the industry and extremely valuable. Um, so I didn't want that to go unnoted. I did want to ask, do you offer training classes for your product? If there's anybody that's listening, any of the pool folks, I mean, even if it's just to check it out, I mean, I'm kind of curious. Yeah, actually, um, I don't, I'm not going to say I'm sold because I, I need to see research and I haven't seen it. And as far as I'm concerned, well, you just my to, statements you need hold, to look outside the box a little bit further. It's not outside the box. I need to see what you got hidden away in your files, you know, whether it's inside the box, outside the box or whatever. I mean, the research doesn't exist, but there is research that exists that backs up the points that I provided earlier that this is a potentially dangerous situation. And I give you the benefit of the doubt. We have a long relationship. You know, I don't know you to be a bullshitter. So, I mean, I but I want to see the research. That's where I'm at. As far as the classes. I I expect that that is something that's going to have to be generated and provided to get this through into the model aquatic health code. So I mean, unless I do the testing myself, I mean, that's where I'm at. I mean, I did, I changed a lot of opinions with black algae when I did the research that I did. So there's two options. I find it or I do it myself. And right now I don't have the option to do either. So I need what you have. Yeah, the environment in, in the uh, the pool industry in the U.S., also having been in it and knowing many of the builders that I do, their reluctance to adapt and add natural pools really kind of falls into a category of, you know, I'm busy enough right now doing what we're doing. Why do I need to learn anything new? 
Um, I've been doing it all this way my whole life. Why should I change? But to the benefit of many, uh, we've got 20 projects now going on across the country with different builders in different locales where they are looking at. And uh, we are back to your question earlier about training. Yeah, really, it's it's more one off. Last year, well, just prior to the COVID shutdown, was doing webinars. This year, due to the interest. Quite frankly, we've been so busy, I haven't done any dealer training. But as we start getting into the fall of the year, you can certainly expect at least visit our website, fill out information, get in our database where I understand who they are and what their interest is. I'll certainly be happy to send an invitation for dealer training or or for education. We train our dealers on the biology, the science, the engineering, the hydraulics, necessary for properly constructing a biological filter. It is uh, information that is, um, I won't say protected, but yes, it's proprietary. The method is not. The biological systems are not. The limnology of freshwater aquatic environment is not. So the science is out there for understanding what is actually going on in the biology of a biological filter. The systems and the designs that we use for the movement of water and the design and structure of the hydraulics. Yeah, there are some proprietary equipment as well as methodologies used in the design that we certainly educate and train our dealers with. But we're certainly willing and wanting to make sure that those that have a misimpression about natural pools being a green, cloudy mess in the backyard, that couldn't be further. That couldn't be further from the truth. I didn't say mess. Well, if I saw a green, cloudy pool, I would assume it's a mess. I said hazy and murky were my words. And that's a messy pool. (laughs) But I think offering a course, like I would take it, and you already know my opinion, I shared it, you know, and am I more open to it since we've had this conversation? I have a lot of faith in you, right? So as far as this methodology goes, I'd need to see the research because I need evidence from the other side. But I would take the class and I would be willing to bet we have a group on Facebook. Well, there's several of them, several great groups. If this information was shared there, even people who were skeptical would take the class just to see what it's about. And then you would be educating folks on a larger scale. Well, from then this Joe, for, for your audience, uh, those of you out there, if, if they were to go onto our website, I, I haven't mentioned the company purposely. I didn't want this to be a, a self-grandiosing commercial for uh, the biological pools that I promote. Uh, the Association for Swimming Ponds and Natural Swimming Pools is the industry organization, ASBNSP.org. The IOB, International Organization of Natural Bathing Waters, is the international organization under which the Dana database that I was talking about earlier is under their umbrella. But if folks were to go to bionovanaturalpools.com, fill out the contact form, put in there that they're interested dealer, then we certainly will have and, and honestly, I expect it to be a multi-stage orientation. It's going to have to start at the high school level biology to help make sure people understand that this is not snake oil and witch's brew that's being sold. This is, this is pretty common biology that when applied in this environment is a very effective way to maintain both residential and commercial pool environment. I think you'd be surprised at how many people were willing to get on board and at least to gain more information because we do understand that it's growing. We do know that it came from Europe, but right now it's a thing, you know, it's like I said, it's something that people are doing for backyard pools. It's prevalent in Europe. It's slowly making its way over here. 
you know, and we know not much else about it, right? But I think you'd get a lot of folks. And I also appreciate you naming the organizations that you named because it is important to me. I understand where my hate mail is coming from. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you something. I know guys like Rudy are a tough sell because he needs unequivocal data from like five different reporting agencies. All right. But definitely letting uh, guys like Rudy take a look at a peek under the hood and see what, you know, with the reporting uh, metrics and, and how you test these pools. All right. Covers their butt definitely from an insurance side because they have to have to keep a data log every time they service the pool so that they can say it's below a certain level and it, it meets the requirements exactly. that it's supposed to meet, you know? All right. Just well, need the I information, Alan. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate both of you guys giving me your, your viewpoints on the show. Definitely. Rudy speaks really intelligently from the uh, the chemistry side of things, and he's uh, super knowledgeable when it comes to, you know, what's actually, you know, microorganisms that are in the pool. So he has some legitimate concerns from that side. And I'm sure, you know, as the technology progresses and as more people adapt to bringing on natural pools that, you know, there'll be even more reporting and more analysis that is readily available on the subject. I agree. Thanks, Joe. Rudy, Appreciate it was you great guys. seeing you. Alan, great to see you again. Joe, thank you, sir. (laughs) Thanks, Joe. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.